Welcome to the Alcorn Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Matthew 25, starting at verse 14, we're going to read all the way through verse, verse 30. Here's what it says. This is a parable of Jesus. He says, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another, to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The the man who had received five talents approached and presented five more talents and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents, not to be outdone, also approached. He said, master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. And notice what the master says. Same thing he said to the one that brought back five talents. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. There's always one. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I I know you. You are a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, what you have is yours. What you gave me, I'm just giving it right back to you. And his master replied, you evil lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and I gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and I would receive my money back with interest when I return. So here's what I'm going to do. Take the talent from him, the one that has one, and give it to the one that has 10 talents. And you all said subconsciously that's not fair. But God says, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But for the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away from him. And here's what he says, cold-blooded, throw this good for nothing. Now God is like talking like an old, like an old woman. This good for nothing. Throw this good for nothing, sorry servant into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word this morning. Uh, God, we pray that you would just give us the grace to hear well, to receive well. We pray that you would help us to grow in our faith. Uh, God, my prayer is that we would see your son Jesus for who he really is. Uh, my prayer, God, is that your people, Father, that, that, are, that are not in the faith, that are not followers of you, God, I pray that they would see your, your grace, your loving kindness, um, your mercy. I pray that they would see your son Jesus and his sacrifice that he made for his people. And so, Lord, I, I pray today, God, that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears to hear, to receive all that you have to say to us today. Um, God, I pray that you would radically change us and transform us, that you would change our perspective today. Um, and so, Lord, give me help as I, I preach today, God. Let, just let me be an instrument that you use for your goodness and for your glory. And so, Father, I pray you bless your people, that you bless our time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. People of God said amen. Maybe seated. From the sermon title, God gives more than enough. God gives more than enough. I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. 
I'm an 80s baby, and I'm, and I'm, I'm proud of it. We, we had the best TV that, that there ever was. My favorite, my favorite, my absolute favorite TV show of all time happened to air from 1984 to 1992. My, my favorite show, although I have a, a few different favorite shows that I'm ashamed to tell you that I love, there's one that stands above the rest. I, I love power. Don't judge me. Um, I, I love, I love, I love, I love power. I, lo- I love all of those types of shows. It's one of my favorite shows. Um, I, I like all kinds of TV, but, but there's one show that stands above them all that shaped me as a child, and that was none other than The Cosby Show. Uh, I am a Cosby Show fanatic. If it comes on today, I'm going to watch it like I'm seeing an episode for the first time. Um, I, I love The Cosby Show. It, it was so popular when it came on such a legendary show that, that it was rated as the 28th best out of 50 of the 50 greatest TV shows of all time. Its reign was uh, incomparable. It, it literally lifted NBC out of the ashes when it came on in 1984. Well, well as you know, it chronicles the, the life of Dr. Heathcliff Huxtable, who's an obstetrician, and his wife, Claire Huxtable, who is a successful attorney. And they have five, five, five children, and they are living in Brooklyn in a, in a beautiful brownstone. And it's a comedy, but it has a lot of life lessons in it. And so I love the show because it showed what good, good parenting looked like. Good parenting looked like. So much so that it, it sets the tone in the very first pilot episode that you may not be aware of. But there's a famous phrase that was said in this pilot episode that, uh, Dr. Heathcliff Huxtable said to his son, Theo. Uh, and, and so in this particular episode, Theo is having problems in school. He's not a very good student, not a very good student. He's a D student. And as you can imagine, that is unacceptable for parents who one's a doctor and one's, one's an attorney. That's unacceptable. And so Theo's the only child, the only boy, the only child out of the five children who is really struggling uh, struggling in, in school. And so in this episode, uh, Heathcliff walks into Theo's room upstairs and Theo is telling him why he makes deeds. And his father is saying, this is unacceptable for, for my son, for, for someone to be my child. And so his father grabs what looks like a game of Monopoly. And he, he grabs some, some Monopoly money and they go through a whole scenario. And Theo is telling him how he doesn't need to get good grades and he can just work at, at a gas station, and he can make a living off of that. His father shows him how that, that is not going to work for him, and, and so he gives him the lesson. But later, he comes back up into Theo's room, and Theo is giving him this sad sob story how even if he is unsuccessful, even if he is a D student, even if he does not do his best, he should just love him anyway because he's his son. And Dr. Heathcliff Huxtable says one of the coldest lines in TV history after the speech and the audience claps, he says, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And then he tells him, he says, look, man, you, 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 you're going to do good in school because I said so. And then he says this cold line that will go down in TV history. And you may have heard this before. He says this to his son to stake his claim, ask his father to let him know that he owns everything and that as his son, he is supposed to do everything in honor of his father. He says this cold line. He says, I brought you in this world and I'll take you out. This is what he says to him. And essentially, I I believe that this is what Jesus is trying to convey in this parable. He's trying to get across in this parable that, 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 that because we belong to God, there is incumbent upon us a responsibility to do the best we can with what we have been given. And so, so, so our goal today is to reshape and rewire the way that we see what God has given us, specifically in the way that we work, use our talents, and the way that we manage our money. But oftentimes we struggle in this area because we don't have the right perspective of ownership. We oftentimes think this is my job, my gifts, my talents, and 
this is my money. But how contrary that is to the actual truth, because in the scriptures, Psalm 24, 1, God says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything belongs to God. The world and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. The earth and all who live on it are his. If you are a a Christian, it goes further for you because at some point the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, for you were bought with the price. You were bought with the price. You don't even own your own life. This is why, why Paul also wrote to church in Rome, and he said this, for from him and through him and to him are all things. E- everything belongs to the Lord. Everything that is, is his. Everything, a- absolutely everything. But here's the, here's the beautiful thing. God doesn't just make us lowly subjects and subordinates that live under his reign of godly terror. No, we are called as sons and daughters, and we've been brought into the family of God and adopted into the family business. And he has given us a small part of his vast creation and given all of us gifts and resources to renew and restore his creation, everything from our work, our family, our finances, our, our, our faith, all our opportunities to serve the kingdom of God. We must allow God to radically change our view of our work and our money in order that we can experience a glimpse of the satisfaction and fulfillment that we all long for. God has given us a a blueprint to experience the grace of God in the use of our God-given abilities, the management of our finances, and the fulfillment in our day-to-day work. There was a study done a few years ago that said 77% of all people hate their job. I know that's nobody in this room. I know there's nobody here. But, but there are people out here that feel, feel that way. And, and so, so to, today I think that God is going to reorient our minds and give us a proper perspective on how we see money and how we see our work. God, God has called us to something greater than we could ever imagine. But today I hope he, I hope he opens our minds to see the reality that we're not just going to a job and we're not just working for a boss. We're not just managing some money trying to get by and survive and pay our bills day to day, but that we're doing something greater because we are part of something greater. He he invites us to share in his kingdom. Here's how Richard Pratt put it in his book, Design for Dignity. I love this quote. Never forget this. Here's what Richard Pratt said in Design for Dignity. He said this, the great king has summoned each one of us into his throne room. Take this portion of my kingdom, he says. I am making you my steward over your office, your workbench, your kitchen stove. Put your heart into mastering this part of my world. Get it in order. Unearth its treasures. Do all you can with it. Then everyone will see what a glorious king I am. That's why we get up in the morning and go to work. We don't labor to survive. Insects do that. Our work is an honor, a privilege, commissioned from our great king. God has given each of us a portion of his kingdom to explore and to develop its fullness. This is how we should see our work. That is more than just a job that we're going to, but we are part of something greater. You know what else God does not do that we do? We oftentimes have this dividing line between sacred and secular. The people at the church do spiritual work and I do regular work. But God says there's no dividing line there. All work is sacred. All work is sacred. Not just the person in the pulpit or the person with the microphone that you see in church. Everybody that works does something sacred. Alistair McGrath said this. He said this. The work of believers possesses a significance which goes far beyond the visible results of that work. The process of doing the work, as much as the results of the work, is significant to God. There is no distinction between spiritual and temporal, sacred and secular. All human work, however lowly, is capable of glorifying God. Work is a, potential, a potentially productive act of praise. When you're working, do you think you're praising God? Because you are. 
The way you work gives praise and glory to God. That's beautiful. But you think it's just you doing something to occupy time and to get a check until the next time you get paid. But God sees it as something completely different. This idea of stewardship and God's ownership and what he's called us to is so important that near the end of Jesus' life and his public ministry, he had his disciples in mind and, and, and what they were to do in between the time of his absence and his return. And he tells them a parable about the kingdom of God. He tells them what's called the parable of talents. If you don't know what a parable is, a parable is just a fictitious story that would contain a deeper meaning that only one with the right relationship with God would be able to understand. Parables were designed to teach a lesson through comparison. And the comparison in this scenario is the kingdom of God. Of heaven. This is oftentimes referred as the parable of the talent, but really it's a parable about preparation and readiness, the necessity of being prepared and being ready, how we are to live and work between the time of his resurrection and his return. The not yet, but the already. That, that, that we are living in this time frame between his resurrection when he got out of the grave because he did. That proved that he was God. And if you trust in him, you are forgiven and you are a child of God because of the resurrection. This proves that he was God, but also he has promised that he's coming back. So what do you do while you wait? Well, what, are you, what are you doing between the time of the resurrection that already happened and while you wait on his return? Well, how do I know he's going to return? You know he's going to return because he resurrected. But what we do in the meantime matters to God. Your work is so important. It is so important. And we have the privilege and responsibility to use, to invest, and manage God's resources for his good and for his glory. We have this opportunity to use the the life the gifts and resources that we've been given for the glory of God and for the good of others. Here's what this means, practically speaking. If you are a student, if you are a career person, if you're a recent college grad, if you are a mother, a father, an accountant, an attorney, a nurse, a doctor, a police officer, a CEO of a company, or you're a stay-at-home mom, your your real job title is a steward. You are a steward. You are a steward. You are to manage the affairs and assets of someone else. Biblically speaking, a steward was a household manager. A steward's job was to manage the household affairs of someone else. So a steward's job can consist of several things. They could feel, make sure the cabinets were filled with food. They could make sure that the house was kept in good repair. A steward could make sure the money and the financial affairs of the owner were taken care of. And so if you think think about this, a steward was a highly trusted person. A steward was somebody that that, that the owner had to trust. A, A steward always, also always understood that he didn't own what he was entrusted to. That, that, that he was never, the steward is never under the false impression that what he was entrusted to actually belonged to him. He never was under the the, the notion that this is my stuff, but he was to take ownership of it in the sense that he would manage what he was given in the way that the real owner would manage it, which would be for that owner's benefit. So let me just give you a working, simple definition. Here's the definition of a steward. A steward is one who has been entrusted with the possession of another, the possessions of another, to manage it in the best interest of the owner. And so we get to this parable, the talent, oftentimes this parable confuses people when we read it at face value. 
Uh, and we can read this and say, parable of the talents, oh, this means like a, a, gift, a gift that I have, like a, a skill set, like, like a, a craft that I do, something that I'm, that I'm really good at. I, I'm supposed to manage this talent that I've been given, this talent to, to act, this talent to, to, to play sports, this, this talent to be, be administrative, this talent to, to sing, this talent to, to do business, this talent to whatever it is that you do. But, but, but in actuality, it kind of encompasses that. But, but really, this, this is about managing this guy's money. In this parable, there's a wealthy owner that, that, that has called upon his servants and entrusted them with his money, his assets, while he's gone away for an extended period of time, and they don't know when he's returning, but they do know that he is going to return at some point. Keep that in mind. His servants don't know how long he will be gone, but they do know that he's coming back, and they are to invest Manage, steward what he has left them to in his absence. But they are never to perceive that they can do it or whatever they want to do with it. They know that what they have comes with a responsibility to do their absolute best to increase it and make it better. You know, this idea is not some New Testament phenomenon. The Bible tells us in the beginning that God created man. And he placed them in a garden to work it and to till it. He gave them responsibility before the fall and before wife. A man was a steward from the beginning. Work has always been. When God gets finished creating the world, it says he rested. Why? Because he was working. He saw his work. He said, that's good. I did that. <laughs> I did that too. G- God is like, I- I'm working. So, so work is not some, some demonic creation, although it feels like it at times. It's not, a, it's not an attack from Satan. Although you may feel that tomorrow at 3.30, while you're counting down that last hour and a half, it's, it's not a curse. It's a gift. But because of the fall, it can feel like a curse. But today I'm here to remind you that it's not a curse. It's actually a gift. And so we look at these first two verses, 14 and 15. He, his own, he gave his own servants uh, his stuff. He entrusted it to them, his possessions. He gave one five talents, another two talents, another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Right? This money can symbolize any, any aspect of life, but, but, but it does talk about money. And here's what you need to know about service. These were not just regular old slave servants. These were, some of them were teachers, some were attorneys, some were accountants, but they were accountable for what they had been given. They, 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 they obviously are working for this wealthy man who has a thriving business. How do you know he's wealthy and how do you know he's thriving? Because he has three servants and he gives each one of them an amount of talent. Let's do some math. So, so this, this word talent here comes from a word talaton, but, but we tend to, we, we've, we've kind of translated in our English to, to mean gift or talent. But a talent in this particular context was a large sum of money. This was essentially a bag of gold that was worth 6,000 denarii. Let, let, me, let me just do some math. So, 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 one, so, so one talent uh, was was worth 20 years of income. So let's do some simple math for our day and time. So that means that, that, that if, it, if, if, if you make 40K a year, this is roughly $800,000. He, he gives them 20 years of income. So, so if you make $40,000 at the end of 20 years, you should have 800K. That's what one talent is worth. One talent is $800,000. And so he gives them a fortune of money. So the first servant, if he gives them five talents... This means that he gives them $4 million. Wouldn't you like to be put in charge of $4 million? The second servant, he gets about 1.6. And the third servant, he gets 800000 I know what you're thinking. I don't even need to be the first or the second third servant. Just make me number three. <laughs> Different amount of some money, trust it. 
to the, entrust it to the servants. And we read this and we go, whoo, that is a lot of money. That's a lot of weight. That's a lot of responsibility that God has given them. But he doesn't see the value of what he's giving you any different. It is the same. It is the, the absolute same. And he gives it to them. He says, depending on each one's ability, meaning that he evaluated each one of them and he determined or saw fit what each one was able to handle for where they were at that moment. He did this de- depending upon what he knew about their economic prowess. So he wasn't just around here, hey, you get a check, and you get a check, and you get a car. No, this is not Oprah Winfrey ministry right here. God is being wise, and he's giving to each one depending upon what he knows about what they will do with what, he's, what they've been given. He gives them what they can handle. I hope you get that in your spirit. And, and, and so th- this shouldn't be like, oh, that's not, that's not fair. This is not uncommon in the Bible, even when he gives skills or gifts of like that we use. First Peter 4 and 10 says this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And so God determines who gets what. If God determines who gets what, you don't need to be jealous of what somebody else has. And so the master leaves for an unknown amount of time, but they know he's coming back. Here's what happens. Steward number one, the Bible tells us immediately he put the talent to work, not to be outdone. Steward number two does the same thing. And steward number three, I just imagine he was like, digs a hole in the ground and buries the money and hides it. But I love this first steward because he didn't delay. He started investing immediately. He didn't wait for the right time. I think he already had a plan in place for when he got the money. I'm not speaking for God, but I I probably assume that God knew that this joker already had a plan for if he did get it. So that's how I know I can trust him, not just based off what he's already did, but I know he has a plan when I give it to him. I'm going to give it to the person who I already know has a strategy and a plan for this when they get it, not somebody who's going to let the amount of what I give them determine what they do with it. And so he starts investing immediately. He, he looked for a way to find money managers so he could increase it. He understood the assignment. He put an effort and research into investing his manager's money because he knew when he's coming back, he's not going to look for me to give him back five talents. He's going to have expected for me to done something with this money and made it better or more than it was when I got it. He didn't hold on to it in fear. He didn't waste time on it playing dumb. He didn't say, well, I know how to research all kinds of stuff online, but this money stuff, I'm just going to play dumb, deaf, and blind. The second steward, I actually admire him more than the first because he was given two talents. But never does it say that he looked at the first steward who had five and was like, why he got five and I only got two? If I had five, I could do more at five, too. Oh, he got five. See, I would do better if I had that many, that much. I, w- I would actually do, if I had that gift, I would do that, too. If God had given me this, I'd be able to do just like they're doing. But since I only got what I got, I can't do what I'm supposed to do. He didn't say that. He doesn't make any excuses. He takes what God has given him, no matter how small it is or what somebody else has in comparison, and he says, my responsibility is to mind my own business and do business with what God gave me. I'm going to start right with what I have. I don't need to wait till I get rich. I don't need to make, wait till it's more. I can do something with what God has already given me. He moved just like he had five, although he had two. Maybe you should work like you already promoted 
before you wait for God to give you a promotion. Work like the door is already open before God opens the door. Treat your money like you're already rich even though you feel poor. Oh, no, I'll just wait till I get a million dollars to be wise with my money. What you do with 1,000 is a mirror of what you will do with 1 million. That's a fact. And all of us are waiting for this grand moment to come when we can do right by what God has given us. No, you, you will do what you're doing right now. This is good for us because you just may not like your job, but start today with the realization that you are a steward. And you've been called today to give everything you got, all the gifts that God has given you, you are to put them to use, to deploy that into the benefit of God and your employer. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you're afraid to start today because you're already looking to be somewhere else. Maybe you don't like where you are, and so that determines your effort. Maybe, maybe you don't think you have enough, so you can't start investing today. Maybe you fear you don't have enough to be a good steward and give to God. You, you don't wait to become a good steward. You start right where you are. Two things about these stewards. Number one, they understood their role as stewards. They understood that there was an expectation to use their talent, their resources, and their gifts that they had been given to increase it or make it better than it was when they received it. If it's your family, you, 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 as a husband, you do your best. As a wife, you do your best. As a mother, you do your best. As a, as a father, you do your best. As a single person, you do your best. Make, if you're a wife, make the best meal your husband could ever have. Or microwave the best meal your husband could ever eat. If you're a husband, give the best. If you're a husband, if you're a husband, if you're a husband, if you're a husband, give the best foot rub you could ever give your wife. If you're a husband. If you are a man, do, do your best to make provision for your family's future. Stop making excuses. What, what are life insurance is looking like right now? What, what, am I, what is my investment portfolio look like right now? Not because I'm trying to get rich and store up treasures on earth, but it is to say I am trying to make provision for my future because for my family's future because that's good stewardship. So even though I don't have it yet, I have a plan in place for when I get it. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's your career. Show up to work every day with the mindset that I'm working for God. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not feeling my, my manager, my boss, whatever. That's okay. You feel your real boss, which is God. If you are a Christian, you've been given resources, talents, abilities that, that, that mirrors and imitates God's own creativity, his order, and his appreciation for beauty and excellence. At the end of every day, you should look at your job and say, that's good. There's nothing, there's few things worse than Christians who do bad work. Oh, we're a Christian business. Your sign says you open at 9. It's 9.10. You're nowhere to be found. You said shipping in three days. It's been three months. I don't have my package yet. I'm not saying that we have to be the best, but I am saying that we should do our best. Here's what Paul said in the book of Colossians. Here's what he says, Colossians 3, 23 to 24. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. His reward is far better than your paycheck. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's your finances. Maybe, maybe, maybe you struggle in with your finances. I, I get it. I, I hear you. I hear you, Pastor. You don't know the cost of food is far more expensive than it was. Pastor, eggs are far more expensive. Milk is far more expensive. Expensive restaurants, the food prices have gone up, Pastor. I don't, I don't really have that kind of, kind of money, Pastor. Uh, the, the, the cost of living in Orlando is ridiculous. If you want to be safe, I hear you. But the way out is not to complain. 
The way out is to assess what you have. Thank God for what you have. And then figure out a plan to manage faithfully what you have. Let me give you another nugget. The first way out is to be generous towards God. I'm not saying that because I'm a pastor. I'm saying that because I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I realize that everything I have belongs to him. And it will be a travesty for me to take God's good resources and turn my back and act like I got it on my own. So maybe, maybe you're here today and you don't, I don't mean to prolong the moment. Maybe, maybe you, you, you're here today and you, you're not a tither. You, you just say, hey, I give what I have. Let me tell you something. You don't wait to the moment to become faithful. You don't wait to some, some event that happens and you, then you give to God. Then, then you start with the 10%. No, you, you do that right where you are. But you don't, you don't rob God your way into freedom. I know it's tight. It's right. I know it makes you uncomfortable, but I'm telling you the truth. You don't, you don't wait to this ideal moment. Here's what, I know about, here's what I know about the generation of our church. You will plan and prep and figure out and finagle how to get a vacation with the homies. You will look at them finances and you will analyze them and you will calculate. You'll do trigonometry, geometry, calculus, and algebra trying to figure out how you're going to get to Cancun but when it comes to simple math, like 10%, your calculator don't work. I'm not condemning you. Go on all the trips. Go wherever, go wherever you want to go. Just don't rob God to get there. Go without guilt. Does that make sense? Some of y'all looking like, you need to get, it to get on to your next point. <laughs> the second thing they did, after, after they understood their role as stewards, they, they started with what they had. I already said, they just start with stewardship is starting with what you have. The, the, the third steward, he's like most of us, if I'm being honest. He got one talent. And he put it in the ground. And he thought that the best strategy was to hold on to dear life for what he had, with what he had. He just thought that it was beyond him to invest. So he hid it. It doesn't make sense to me why. Because if the expectation is to invest it and make it more than what it was when you got it. And if you know that the master has unlimited resources, you possibly losing something from the 800,000 means nothing to someone who has everything. When you don't give what you're, what you're subconsciously, when you don't give, when you, when you don't serve, when you don't use your gifts, when you don't you do your best, you're subconsciously making a statement that says, I don't trust God. I, I don't believe that he can replace what I give. I believe that God is just as limited as I am. I don't believe he's God. I believe he's like me. So here's what happens. After a long time, the master came back to settle accounts. Here's what we missed. There will come a time we will have to settle accounts with God. God is going to hold us responsible for every time there was a call in church for everybody to come, serve, use your gifts in the local body, and we just sat there and did nothing. And we watched the professional Christians do all the work while we sat in our seat. That there's going to come a time where we, we're going to get the end, uh, the, end of our, the end of days and we see Jesus, and he's going to wonder, you waited all those years to get your dream job, but the job I put you in, you scoffed at it like I didn't give you that too? So you think the job you're at didn't come from my hand, but this dream job is going to come from my hand. That is to deny my ownership and everything. When you act like God didn't give it to you, what you're saying is, God, you don't own everything. You own some stuff. 
That, that is what we do. When we take from God and we keep our money, we keep our talents, we keep our gifts, we are making a statement, an emphatic statement that, God, you might own some stuff, but you are not God enough to own everything. So I got to hold on to some stuff for myself. The man who had five talents ran. Look what I did. Made 100% profit. I made 100% profit. You gave me eight. Here's 20. Can you imagine that? He gave him eight mil. He brought him back $20 million. Man, I would have bear hugged that servant. That was the master. Not to be outdone the second servant. He didn't bring back 20, but he brought back 3.2. More than what he had. But do you notice something in the text? The master's response to the steward who had two talents and the one who had five is the same. Because God wasn't really concerned about the quantity. He was concerned about the quality. It wasn't about who can bring me the most. It was just a matter of are you going to do something with what you have? This is what we have to get. That there's no magic moment that's coming where it's going to free us to go do the right thing. No, no, you do the right thing with what you have right now. And God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Since you did a good job with that little I gave you, since you are faithful over the little job, I will make you in charge of many. Many of us are waiting for God to kick down a door that good stewardship can open easily. You've been praying about what you can just do. You don't have to pray about really giving your best at your job. You you don't need to consult going on a fast for that. You can eat. You don't don't need to, to, to get real deep and spiritual to start giving to God. You can just do that. I'm going to pray I'm going to pray about being obedient. Can you imagine telling your mother, I'm going to pray about going to school tomorrow? God gives more responsibility to those who are faithful with what they had in the first place. Being a good steward doesn't free us from responsibility. It increases it. He tells them, come and share in your master's joy. Come, come, come share in what I have. Then we get to the last guy. The man who had received one talent approached and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. You reap where you haven't sown. You gather where you haven't scattered seed. I was afraid, and I went off, and I hid your talent in the ground. See what you have is yours. And look at the master's reply to the person who just held on. He didn't even lose anything. He did not. You would think, okay, Strong response, if you give me this money and I lose it, right? Rebuke me if I lose something. He didn't rebuke him for losing. He didn't rebuke him for taking a risk. That's good for you. You need to realize, in Christianity, you're going to have to take a risk. Sometimes you will not know the answer what the outcome is going to be. You just got to do something. But what he does condemn is doing nothing. He condemns sitting on the sideline, watching the cars go by. He condemns just sitting there assessing, should I or shouldn't I? He doesn't condemn him if he takes a risk and loses something. You will lose in the kingdom. You will lose your life. God rewards us for taking risk, but we're so afraid. What happens if I commit myself to God? What do I lose? Subconsciously, what you're saying is God can't replace anything because he's not God enough. 
And this is where we get hung up. He's like, I knew you were. You're harsh. You're strict. And you're a vicious tyrant. You take where you haven't sown and you gather where you haven't scattered seeds. He's calling God a thief. He's calling God a thief. But how can God be a thief? Let's think about this together. If I own everything, I can't steal from nobody. The only person that can be a thief in God's economy is the one who's not God. But that's how most of us view God. That he can't be trusted. That he's not good. That that he can't replace what we will lose. And so I have to hold on to everything I have, my life, my gifts, my talents, my money, with all that I have. I have to hold on to it because God is this vicious tyrant that doesn't know how to give. Here's what I'm saying. I'm almost done. He feared God. He feared the master. And fear is often at the root of poor stewardship. He says, if you thought that I was like that, you should have at least deposited my money with the bankers. You could have at least put my money somewhere that it would have earned interest. But to do so is to insult me through your disobedience. And here's what I'm going to say. Our lack of trust is just us just saying, God, you're not good. You're not able to provide for me. And So today, I, I want you to know something. God is good. And God can and will provide. God does provide. But you have to start somewhere. Here's what I want you to see, verses 29 through 30. Here's what God says. For to everyone who has, look at it, verse 29. For to everyone who has, what? More will be given. And guess what else? He will have more than enough. So let me do some math for you. This is what God is saying. The way to stay stuck and never have more is to keep what you got. If you've been beating your head against the wall, praying and crying at night on, how can I be given more responsibility from God? Give all that you already have. I'm not talking about all your money. I'm just saying, if you have a life, give it to him. If you have a gift or a talent, give it to him. If you have money and it's just sitting there and you're afraid to give it because you don't know what's going to happen or because you're going to just run out of money and it's going to be too much for you, God says the only way to have more than enough is to give what you already have. He literally says it here, and he will have more then enough. Here's the way the writer of the Proverbs put it. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. Faithful stewardship is the path to abundance and fulfillment. If you want to live in abundance of God's abundance, you want fulfillment in your life, become a faithful steward. Some of us have been trying to figure out how I can get ahead in life, how how I can be used of God, how God can make more of my life, how I can be more fulfilled, how I can be more satisfied, how I can make more money, how I can invest the money that I have. Well, be a faithful steward. It's a lot simpler than we make it in this life. The path to abundance is through faithful stewardship. Not just of your money, but your entire life. But Here's what God says. From the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now that sounds unfair at the outset. So you mean to tell me the guy who had one, although he had one, God takes it from him 
and gives it to the one who already has more than everybody else? Absolutely. In God's economy, God is more concerned and God loves the people who do what they are supposed to do with what they already have. You're looking for a path of abundance? You're looking for a path of more? Give all that you have. Give your life to Jesus. Give your family to Jesus. Give your career to Jesus. Give your educational pursuits to Jesus. Give everything that, Lord, this is yours. Because God can do more with what you have than you could ever do on your own. It's simple as that. But you have to start. Ultimately, this parable is about the kingdom of God. He says, take from that, 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 that evil and lazy servant and throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And really, this is a picture of those who reject the kingdom of God. That if there's been an invitation that God has extended to you to give your life to him, and you reject that, this pictures the judgment that happens when he returns, that we will have to give an account for our lives. And many of us have refused to make the decision to trust him with our lives. And so what we're saying is, I'll just do good, settle in the account on my own. And we'll be just like that servant if we don't give everything to God. If we don't give our hearts and our lives and our souls to Christ, we'll be just like this servant. That there is a judgment as sure as there was a resurrection. But the way to real life is to give what we have. Because God is a God that gives us more than enough. I'm telling you today, just start tomorrow with giving God all you got. And it will radically change your life. Just start being faithful tomorrow. Start giving to God. You gave me this. You blessed me with this. And, and I, I think that if you give me this large lump sum, then I'll be faithful. No, you, you will do. God, God, help me with this little bit that I have. Help me be prepared now. Not just what I do with my resources, but what I do with my life. Let's pray. hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website outpouringorlando.com to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.